Yeah, and I'll edit you to sound so smart. That sounds very like, oh my gosh, people are going to think I'm stupid. Well, I am, so... If the shoe fits, but I also love God and I love the church. So if I'm a fool for Christ, whatever. Welcome to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson, and I am here with Reverend Karen Kraska. Uh, She is one of the associate pastors here at Treach and specifically has been uh, at the forefront of our music and arts ministry for, oh boy, how many years? think 24. 24. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. So you're kind of, you understand this whole worship thing that we're doing. You're helping put it together every single week. Absolutely, with a great team. So it might seem like an easy question or a question that we wouldn't normally ask, but today's question is, why do we worship? The reason I'm asking this question is because I just kind of want to take a step back and look at it as at a macro level of when you really think about what worship is in our culture today, it's weird. It's kind of a weird experience. And yes. I was first exposed to that uh, because my ex-husband was atheist, probably still is. And uh, he came to church with me once, having not grown up in the church, not having really ever stepped foot in a church. And he came with me and I was like, hey, what'd you think? And his response was, that was really weird. Mm -hmm. Like people start saying these words and everybody knows the words and it was kind of creepy. And like he was talking about the Lord's prayer, like everyone just starts talking and saying these words together. And so ever since he said that, I approached worship a little differently of like, yeah, this is a really weird thing that we're doing. Uh, It's very outside of cultural norms uh, of what we're doing the other six days of the week. And so... Karen, before we get into like all the ins and outs of what worship is and why we do it, like, I just want to hear from you specifically, like, why do you worship? Well, I knew I was going to be talking to you about worship and I love to talk about worship. I love to talk about the church. And so that question, why do I worship? Um, I, I went to our staff meeting a couple of weeks ago and did the devotional. And I pulled out during the season of Lent some books on worship to just kind of remind myself <laughs> why we worship. And for me personally, it's a matter of ascribing worth to God. That's really what worship is. It's worthiness. We worship things that we think are, are worthy of our worship, meaning um, things that are important, that are special. And I worship because God is central to who I am. And hopefully the most important part of my life is my Christian faith and my walk uh, with Christ. And so I worship, hopefully, (laughs) as an outward expression of my gratitude, of my thankfulness, of my um, obedience, my allegiance to God. That's why I worship. So has your attitude towards worship changed over time? Because what I imagine, and and let me put a little bit of my own story behind this. Um, First of all, you're amazing at your job. Right. So all well, you're, you might not that. agree with no. but <laughs> I, that you, I feel like y'all I can take my word for it. Karen is amazing at her <laughs> job and you have a way of um, using music to bring uh, to welcome in the spirit into uh, a holy place. And it's really incredible to actually get to see you working behind the scenes. And as a person who I've been working at this church for seven years now, so not as long as you, but a Mm -hmm. good enough amount of time that I can see behind the scenes of how worship is put together. One of the things that I learned really quickly about myself is I had to find a different place to worship Mm -hmm. because I had trouble separating my place of work from my place of worship. And when I was sitting in the pew here on Sunday morning, I felt like I was working because people would come up to me and ask me questions about the website or, you know, whatever it is. And there wasn't that solid separation. So it didn't feel like a worshipful time for me. How are you able to manage that? Like I, I, does it, does Sunday morning feel like worship to you or does it feel like work? Well, I'll be honest, both. (laughs) And it depends on the 
Sunday uh, because it is what I do for a living. Um, and it is so much my job, it's hard for me to separate. It is. There are times when I am blown away by the power of the Spirit when I am technically working, and I truly can kind of abandon and and feel like I am worshiping God. And it other times, makes it more amazing that the Spirit was able to break through your e- busyness. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And other times, even when I go to other churches or I hear other, um, you know, other musicians or pastors, it's hard for me not, and this is terrible, but to kind of be taking notes or or thinking, oh, how could we incorporate that? That's great. Or that that seems very random or, you know, whatever, to kind of be critiquing. So it is hard to separate, but worship can happen, as you know, in, in the sanctuary. It can also happen outside of the sanctuary. Life mm-hmm. can be worship. Uh, of course, we're talking about corporate worship and mm-hmm. worship specifically at Treach, but um, it is hard to separate sometimes. Yeah. So... I know you already talked about the reason you worship is because you prescribe worth to mm-hmm. God, who God is, and that is worth uplifting. Um, but you mentioned Sunday morning in church is not the only way to worship. So maybe at like a higher level, what is the point of worship in general? Not just necessarily the way that we categorize it today mm-hmm. of going and sitting in a pew on Sunday right. morning and listening to right. someone talk to you. Right. Um, what it, like what scripturally can we learn about like the point of this worship thing? Mm, that's a that's a good question. You're right. We in our western civilization and in suburbia, we have a model where we come in and there's a greeting and there's a prayer and we kind of have a formula, which is helpful because it sets expectation and we try to um, check the boxes, so to speak, because there's all different types of, you know, acts of worship, so to speak. I think it's to um, remind us of who God is. And it's a special set apart time when we come together in corporate worship, just like if if there's a special occasion, so to speak, a birthday, an anniversary, um, a celebration, a graduation, there's rituals around that where you might have a party or you might have cake, you might go to your favorite restaurant. That says this is a special time. I'm gathering and and I'm going to set apart this time because it's a celebration. That's how I view Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a family event. It's a coming together to pray, to sing, to um, hear the word of God proclaimed, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to give of our tithes and offerings. So. I think the point of worship is, there's so many points of worship, but to remember who we are as a people of God, to hear the stories from the past, to celebrate what God is doing today, and to, to look forward to how we can bring about the kingdom of God here on earth. So it's it's not a simple answer. Yeah. Let's kind of go back in time a little bit, because the reason that we're talking about this is we're, you know, coming up in, in the month of June. Uh, we're going to be talking about the first church in the book of Acts. And so how do you see the way we worship now compare to the way the original church worshiped? Is there anything that we kept or are there things that we should reclaim? Well, I think the spontaneity, I mean, in in the book of Acts, to your point, I'm real excited about digging into the book of Acts throughout the month of June. The church was new, and so uh, it wasn't a safe place necessarily. It was a new, exciting um, time in the life of the church. Now, here almost 2,000 years later, We've we've kind of institutionalized and ritualized things that you know, the the point of tradition I think is to hold on to things that have meaning and value, but it can also become very rote, very stale, very um, you you just expect, and so all of a sudden you stop paying attention to why it's holy or why it had meaning. So um, I think that in the in the early church. There was the word proclaimed, the reading of holy scriptures. There was dancing. There was celebration. There was um, unity of uh, coming together to 
to pray, to, to bear each other's burdens, to uh, all those things that hopefully the church today does. But after so many years, things become rote and they just can lose their significance and meaning. And we begin to believe this is the right way to worship. And I believe we take the mystery out of God in our worship when we just have a formula. Mm -hmm. And this is how we do it week in, week out, 52 weeks a year, or in the Christian church, the Protestant church. Um, And I believe that that kind of is unfortunate Mm -hmm. (laughs) because God is so much bigger, deeper, when I was able to um, worship in Africa, when I went to Mozambique, out in a pavilion with dancing as they brought up their their tithes and offerings, and to have people stand up and talk that are are more extemporaneously. Uh, I was raised uh, Presbyterian, and we never clapped. We never, it was kind of the, you know, sit on your hands, very quiet if anyone called out. Uh, even our Methodist church. I mean, sometimes we raise our hands, sometimes, you know, we clap. Uh, There's not a right or a wrong, but I think depending on the church where we're worshiping, there becomes a flavor, a tone, an expectation of what's appropriate and what's not. That's a shame. Um, But I understand, you know, how we kind of have gotten where we are. But looking back to the first church, I don't think there was expectation. (laughs) Well, and that that actually made me think about... um you know, setting aside time for God, at least in the Methodist tradition, I'm guessing in many other traditions as well, setting aside time for God means one hour. And if you go five minutes over, everybody freaks out. (laughs) Like you will get nasty grams for weeks (laughs) afterwards. In in the defense of our congregation and those that get riled up, sometimes it has to do with childcare or Sunday school or the parking lot needs to turn over. (laughs) So we have all of these layers of expectation and we've created, you know, in our institutional church, um, those things that we have to kind of bend to. Yeah. And I've been to other churches and different traditions that it's like, you show up to church at 8 a.m. and it's over when it's over. Right. And you never know when it's going to be. And there is more um, random things happening of people getting up and sharing what's on their mind. And like, maybe the sermon will be 20 minutes. Maybe it'll be an hour. Like you have no idea. And part of that, like, Sometimes when I was in that environment, I was like, oh, like oh, yeah. looking at my watch, I've like been there my too. stomach's rumbling, you know? Right. And then there are other times that I'm like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever experienced. I've been in here for two hours and it feels like I've only been here for 30 minutes, you know? Absolutely. And you just, you never know. But one of the things that you said that really struck me about the original church um, is that the key difference is that it was not a safe space. Mm-mm. And I'm wondering if church today has become too much of a safe space. Like, where's the balance in that? Mm-hmm. Is it too comfortable? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think so. I I struggle with in church, even, you know, as we're planning worship series, the tension between telling people what we already know and we are comfortable and understanding God loves us and we're worthy and and challenging us out of our comfort zone, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come to just comfort and reassure. Jesus also was challenging in his teachings and was countercultural. And so that is, that's difficult because I know I enjoy leaving church feeling like my cup has been filled. Now I can go out in my week and I feel like I have been strengthened and fortified and poured into and celebrated Christ because you know the rest of the week is going to present challenges. But in that we do um, our parishioners a disservice if all we do is soothe and reassure. Yeah, and I think that um, taking different personalities into account because when you say what fills your cup what fills my cup is very different and the challenging Mm -hmm. is what fills my cup when I go into church on a Sunday morning and I feel like I've gotten my butt kicked (laughs) and I'm like oh man these are all the things that I can be doing better and making me think differently and taking me outside my comfort zone for me that is what fills my cup that's a good point and I understand it's not the same for everybody for some people that's extremely stressful and challenging in a in a tough way and more tension I think that the point I'm making is that we so often 
enter worship with the attitude of what is this going to give me? What is this going to provide for me? What am I going to get out of this service today? Are we thinking about it in the wrong way? Do we have the wrong attitude when we even first step foot into the building? Is me even thinking, I want to be challenged today, the wrong attitude of worship? Right. I'm just going to read this quote. This is from Soul Soul Feast. It's an invitation to the Christian spiritual life by Marjorie Thompson. And this is some of what I read in our staff meeting. That was a good reminder for me that our worship is rooted in who God is and in God's purposes. We worship because it is natural to respond to the mystery that irradiates life. We know God to be holy and pure, just and true, compassionate and loving. God is worthy to receive our praise and acclaim, worthy of our listening ears and offered hearts. The worship of God is the origin of human worship. We also worship because we are created to reflect and glorify the one in whose image we are made. Eastern Eastern Christians believe we're most truly ourselves when we glorify God, finding our perfection and fulfillment in worship. Worship ushers us into the presence of the living God and demands the attention, receptivity, and response of our whole being. It asks us to disengage from the nose-length focus of daily life and see below the surface to life's source. We can then re-engage the realities of the world from a deeper and clearer perspective. I believe worship demands something of us, and I believe our worship is, is, for the most part, pretty passive. And there's whole chapters on worship as entertainment, worship as theater, who are the actors, who's the audience, uh, are the worship leaders the actors, and the congregation is the audience, is God the audience? All of these things are true. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard talks a lot about the theater of worship. I believe that even when we go to the theater, we're, in, we're engaged emotionally and intelligently, uh, intellectually, but in our worship, I think we've kind of made it so that it's very, very passive. And we stand and we sing. Mm-hmm. To your point, that's kind of odd in our society. Where else do you go other than maybe a game when you stand up and you sing, know, the, sing national the national anthem? anthem. Yeah. It's a little weird when a corporation, when a, a corporate body of people stand in unison and sing or pray, or it's kind of tribal. Um, but th- there's history, and there's you know obviously lots of reasons why we do that. But I I wish that our worship could be more engaging. To your point, intellectually, hopefully, our uh, we're engaging our brain. It's not just passive. Of okay, I, I I sing this song and then I listen to, I listen to the scriptures. Hopefully, we're engaging with God. Hopefully, uh, we're participating with God. Hopefully, we're giving. Hopefully, we're serving. Hopefully, we're learning. Uh, because I don't believe worship is supposed to be like going to see a movie mm. where literally it's presented and I stand up and I leave. And you may think about it or go, that was good or bad. It's really not supposed to be that passive like watching television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it starts to feel that way sometimes because I know that uh, fortunately for me, I am not a pastor and <laughs> probably fortunately for this congregation as well. <laughs> I make that joke all the time. Well, but we all are. If, the well, Christian as minister. We're all ministers, but to your point, I'm not a preaching pastor. Yeah, well. <laughs> so, but I hear stories of people chasing down the pastor after worship to give them notes of like, oh, I didn't like, why didn't you talk about this? Why didn't you bring up that? I didn't like that you discussed this or like this song didn't really hit me today right, or all of that. Right. And I'm like, what is going on? Well, we live like, in a consumer con- culture. And it is. It's like it's Christian cons- consumerism. Right. And I'm just as guilty as anyone else. If yeah. I like the music in worship, or if I don't, uh, if it's good, it doesn't matter to me what genre. I will respond if it's done well. I don't care the genre. If it's done poorly, it's a hindrance to my worship. I'm just being honest. Um, 
But we live in a consumer culture, and in our kind of demographic, I mean, I know that if I like a restaurant, I'll go back. If I don't, I won't. If it resonates with me, I'm I'm in favor. If it doesn't, I'll move on. So I don't believe people mean to be critical, but my experience of folks in worship, you tend to hearken back to your roots, so to speak. So if you grew up in a particular denomination or in a very small church or in a very large church or whatever, that seems to be most people's normative, they're normal, or in their mind, what is correct. And so when we deviate in worship, people tend to have opinions, not right, not wrong. Hey, I've got opinions on pretty much everything. It doesn't mean I'm right or wrong. I like to think that people want to bring about you know, the good or respond like that really touched me or that really didn't. So it, it, it is challenging. Maybe I've been here so long, I don't get a lot of those comments anymore. And I like to think we're eclectic enough that if this didn't hit you, this song, this hymn, this passage, whatever, that there'll be something else that will. Because Come what next a, week and try again. Right. <laughs> what appeals to the, the eight-year-old boy is probably not going to appeal to the 82-year-old woman. Yeah. You know, there's different, and people hear things differently too. I listen to the sermon, you know, two or three times every single Sunday, and it's very interesting. Sometimes people say, I love that the pastor said X, and I'm like... I listened all three times and I didn't I didn't take that away, but I'll hear something different. And that's what I love about scripture being the living, breathing word of God. Where depending on where I am in my life and my circumstances, and even in my faith, to be quite honest, I will hear things for the first time again. Yeah. If you could change anything about the way we worship today in the Western culture, what would it be and why? I, I wish it was more participatory. I wish that we had, a, 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 and this is myself included, a greater sense of urgency. <laughs> and um, what, partic- do you mean, what do you mean about urgency? I, be- I think that we take it for granted. I think that because there's a church on most every corner, <laughs> because we're not persecuted, because it's easily accessible to the masses. I believe we take it for granted. And so I believe it's passive. I don't believe we participate. Um, I always think of like the, the public schools. They're there. My kids can go. It's an expectation that they go. It's not necessarily an expectation that people do uh, public worship anymore or corporate worship. That grieves my heart. But it's just, it's kind of we take it for granted. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm really involved in my kid's school, I might volunteer or make copies or be on the PTA or, you know, be a, I don't know, different helpers. Same thing in the life of the church to just come to your point one hour and leave. Hopefully I've gotten, I've communed with God. Hopefully I've confessed, I've prayed, I've given, I've rejoiced, I've, you know, attributed um, my thanks to God, and I've allowed God to to work in my heart and life, but it is still, it seems very passive. So I wish it was more participatory. I wish there was an urgency, like, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I need to connect with the source of life. Mm-hmm. I need to confess. I need to repent. I need to be challenged. I need to, you know, out of my comfort zone. But that's a lot. That's a tall order in an hour. Yeah. And and fifty two weeks a year, um, so and I also wish we would come with more expectation. I think that because we know what's going to happen, <laughs> that we don't have expectation and the mystery of God, we have um, kind of taken out of of worship, and that's very indicting for me as the pastor over worship. I think we're so uncomfortable, myself included, with silence. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to explain everything, and this is what this means, and let me explain this passage to you or give you the historical context. I think we have demystified God, and to sit in the silence and to take a tough passage of Scripture or and just kind of marinate in it and not have to have all the answers, and the answer for you might be different than the answer for me. I think we've so corporatized and said, well, this is what we believe is United Methodist, or these are our doctrines doctrinal standards or whatever. And I think that's such a shame because God is so 
infinitely more vast and complicated than our human mortal minds can comprehend. And we've simplified God and we've just continued to put God in a box and we go through the ritual, we go through the rubrics and then we move on. Mm -hmm. And that makes me sad. It it makes me think of, um, so my partner is, uh, he practices Indian Orthodox uh, faith tradition. And he sent me uh, the message that his priest gave on Good Friday. And I was listening to it. And, you know, the Orthodox tradition really embraces the mysticism. I dated someone who's Russian Orthodox and went to that church for a while. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, I haven't actually been to his church, but I listened to this message. And one of the things that really stood out to me is the priest talking about their belief of worship and their faith tradition. And he said, when you enter this room and you enter into a time of worship, you are stepping outside of time and space. Mm, And in this time, we are connected to everything that was, everything that is, and everything that will be. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, and of course he said it much more eloquently than I ever could because it's written into his DNA of his seminary and his faith tradition and Mm -hmm. everything. But just that beautiful understanding of when we step into this holy place, we are stepping outside of time. Absolutely. And it gives me goosebumps yeah. to think That's about the it. holy. That's the Holy Spirit. And we, I know I do, stifle the work of the Holy Spirit, even with the scripts that we have, because mm-hmm. we do run worship um, at an hour. And these are the things we need to accomplish. And we want to sing and pray. Down to the minute. Down seconds. to the minute. And that yeah. seems very... Um, like it's a show or a production, yet when it's not, um, it can be messy and things are forgotten or I don't know. I I struggle both ways because I'm type A and, you know, I hate to say controlling, but, you know, some, things can spin out of control. There are opportunities. Uh, we, you know, we stream our, our services and there are opportunities for those holy times and those, those unexpected, unscripted, but do we take the time to do that? So I'm torn. I love that, that thought of just allowing the mystery. I went to a church, this was years ago, I think I was in college or maybe I was out of college, but it was a um, Pentecostal church. (laughs) And literally we got there and we sang some songs and the pastor just said, the Holy Spirit told me that we're just going to sit in silence and I'm not going to bring a message. Well, what was the first thing my cynical mind thought was? He didn't prepare one. And we literally (laughs) sat there in silence for 30 minutes. And I thought, I hate this. I don't like this. I feel like he's ill-prepared, and this is a waste of my time. Maybe God spoke to him. I don't know. I was suspicious. <laughs> well, maybe God spoke to somebody in there who was more know. open to the experience. <laughs> it was awkward to me. Very awkward. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I think that would be my go-to place, too, of like, oh, well, calling an audible on this one. Yes. Like, man. Um So we've been talking a lot about communal worship, what you've been referring to as corporate worship. Mm -hmm. Um, What are other ways that you see worship happening outside of that, you know, Sunday morning, let's get dressed, go to church, go to Sunday school, all of that. Uh, What are some other examples of worship outside of that? I think spiritual disciplines. We talk a lot in the United Methodist Church about spiritual disciplines, things that we do that connect us with the divine, those prayer, um, singing. I mean, I listen to Christian music every morning because I've just found if I don't, I feel like my day isn't right. That's just how I choose to kind of start my day because for me, it's very worshipful. Um, um, Praying. There are a lot of people that have a, a, a prayer chair or a devotional journaling. All of these things are acts of worship. It causes us to stop. And I love from the quote that I read, the, the kind of nose length. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it. We're pretty self-absorbed people. We're thinking yeah. about what we're going to do that day, our schedule, what we're going to eat, what we're going to have for dinner, where we're going to go. Uh, that's what consumes so much of our time. That's just how we're created. But when we do these spiritual disciplines, they take us out of ourselves and they make us think about the divine. They, they focus our heart and our minds and our lives of God, whether it's serving, 
That's not a selfish act. Praying. Hopefully it's not just a laundry list of God help me, but a time of listening and discernment, um, journaling and uh, singing, praise. All those things are acts of worship that can be done very, very easily alone or with others and throughout our day. I mean, John Wesley talked about just breath prayers. A lot of times when I'm driving home, I'll just turn off the the radio and talk out loud to God. Mm -hmm. It seems very weird, but for me, that's a way of, okay, God, help me with this. I'm struggling. I lost it. I'm not proud of what I did. I just talk like a crazy person, but it's I like to talk out loud when I'm by myself, which doesn't happen very often because of, you know, my kids and life at home. But for me, that's kind of time where I can process because as we laugh around here, I process externally. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think that you have to go to church to experience, I know you talked about all the ways to worship outside of church. Mm-hmm. Could someone just say, you know what? Those are the ways I choose to worship. I do not choose to be a part of a church. Is that okay? That is such a loaded question. And that's why I'm <laughs> going to read. Those are my read, favorite yeah, kind of questions, Karen. <laughs> well, it's, it's tricky because I have a lot of family members <laughs> and a lot of wonderful friends and neighbors that choose not to worship yeah. publicly. And I'll be honest, most are because they've been hurt by the church. They've been harmed by the church. They had a negative experience. In fact, literally on uh, Friday night, Chloe had a little friend that I have not been around. She asked if she could come over. And uh, we went out and we were in the car. And this little girl out of nowhere, I don't know why she said it. She goes, I'm the only one in our friend group that doesn't go to church. And I said, well, okay, baby, do you... um, you're always welcome at our church. I said, I happen to work at a church, you know, around the corner. And she said, well, she goes, we're, we're, I'm a Christian. But she said, my daddy had a really bad experience in his church. So that opened up for some conversation. And I chose my words very carefully. And I said, you know, there are all kinds of things that you can do as a Christian to learn more about God, to worship God, all these things. So anyway, um, I, I believe that corporate worship is just as important as prayer and all these spiritual disciplines that 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 we know aid us in our life. I believe we're commanded to worship corporately. But because it's kind of hot button, I I want to just share this if I could. Yeah. And it's from that book again, Soul Feast, and it's uh, this is under Need to Gather. For many people, private worship is more attractive than public worship. Envisioning faith as a private affair reflects the individualism of our culture. The reasons for gathering are many and important. Whether we are alone with the or with others, we need to experience our Christian life as rooted in the larger community of faith. Even our most personal disciplines need to be supported, broadened, clarified, and sometimes corrected in the light of corporate theology and practice. Otherwise, we become susceptible to privatized visions and spiritual truth. Moreover, we need prayers of others as they need our prayers. The way God provides for our deepest hopes is usually through the hands and hearts of others. We delude ourselves if we imagine we can live the spiritual life in total isolation from Christian community, for it is impossible to be Christian in solitary splendor. To be Christian is to be joined to the body of Christ. The central and visible way in which the church expresses this reality is by gathering in the spirit to receive and respond to God's living word. I love the way that's said. Can we worship alone? Absolutely. Can we grow as Christian disciples by ourselves? Absolutely, but to a point, because we need each other. That's how God has created and kind of set up the cosmos. I need you to pray for you, but I also need to humble myself and pray for you. Um, we, We come together to share and bear each other's burdens. And when it says um, that we can kind of have our own privatized visions— 
if I think something long enough <laughs> and I don't have the kind of the litmus test of has this withstood, you know, the traditions and it, does it make sense? We can kind of become delusional thinking that we've kind of got it all figured out or I mean, it's like studying history. Hopefully we don't repeat past mistakes. Hopefully we understand where failures and um, things have happened in our world. So I don't believe we can be Christians in isolation. I also, to, to push back a little bit, isn't it just as, maybe not just as likely, but there's an opportunity to also become delusional as a group. Oh, absolutely. And fall into, a church could so easily fall into this groupthink mindset. Sure. sure. Um, and so... I, and the reason I say that is is going back to your daughter's friend who's like, yeah, we don't go to church. My dad's been hurt by the church. Mm -hmm. There are so many people Absolutely. who have been hurt by the church. And that's the reason that they've disconnected. And, and earlier you said, you know, it saddens you and it grieves you that... Um, going to worship on Sunday is no longer and a community expectation. It's no mm -hmm. longer. Um, but I think that we did that. Oh, absolutely. It's our fault that that's It's our not... fault. But this is what I, I try to remind myself. We're not here to worship our staff or our pastors or our worship leaders. None of that. We will let you down every time. People will let you down. And we're here to worship God. And unfortunately, when, you know, as a pastor, you know, and professionally, we represent God, so to speak. When you proclaim, hey, I go to church and I'm a Christian, people look at you a little different. They have an expectation. We will fail. We are human. We are mortal. So to your point, absolutely, we can become a cult. We can become a clique. We can get off track. That's why we have to keep pointing people to scripture, keep pointing people to God, to the teachings of Jesus, so that it's not about us and my opinion and my theology and let me convince you of this. Getting back to, to worshipful experiences, I'm just curious, um, can you think back, and I, this is kind of a tough question because <laughs> it's hard for me to remember specific worship experiences, but... Uh, can you think of a specific worship experience that you found extremely meaningful or mm. that the spirit was present in a way that hasn't, um, doesn't happen every Sunday? You know, I can't say this one particular worship service. I can't think of anything like from my childhood or uh, I did go to college. I did go to church throughout uh, my college years. In fact, I went to, I think I've said this before and podcasts and things, lots of different denominations and lots of different religions just to, you know, kind of, hey, if you don't know what's out there, how do you know, you know? So um, I can't say this was a particular worship service, but there was one in particular. There have been so many, and I can remember a lot of worship services where I was like, wow, this is so real. This is so powerful. I can remember I was at um, the church doesn't even exist anymore, Irwindale United Methodist Church down in Oak Cliff, where I served in 1991, actually. And we were singing the hymn, Here I Am, Lord. And it was when I was about to graduate from seminary. And it was like God was screaming in my ear, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to serve. This is your calling. I mean, it, I still get chills. It was it was a total God experience singing a hymn in that little bitty old church that I will never forget. Uh, when the bishop laid his hands on me when I was uh, ordained, oh my gosh, I can take myself back there. That was a holy moment. Um, there have been lots of those Um this story, I don't know that I've ever shared it on a podcast or a blog or whatever, but it's one of my favorites. We went, when we when our family got to go overseas for three months when Dan had a, um, a work assignment and I got to take a sabbatical, which was a total blessing, we took our family to, um, to Rome, to Italy, because we were close. We were living in Ireland for three months and we got to go for a week uh, to Italy and we went to Rome and we got to go to the Vatican. Now, I'm not a Roman Catholic, and we got to hear uh, Pope Francis speak, and we got up early, and we were out in the courtyard, and it was packed and packed and packed with people, and Pope Francis is riding in his little Pope mobile, 
And he begins to, he goes up on the huge stage with a sound system and he begins to, to teach, to preach. And he's speaking in Italian and they're, you know, they have to translate it into so many languages. You would think it would be very, um, clunky. Yeah. Real clunky. When he says two or three sentences and then you hear it repeated five times, I broke down in tears. I ha- I felt the power of the Holy Spirit out with thousands of people pressing up against me, listening to it. And I thought, why am I getting so emotional? It was so, it was such a holy experience. And really, truly, I felt God say to me, it's not Pope Francis. It's who he represents. He is my messenger. He is my servant. He is representing Christianity and these people who speak different languages, who look different from me. There were people of every, you know, flavor, nationality. I just wept and I'm not a crier. I am, you know, I'm pretty, pretty stoic and not very emotional outwardly. And I just sobbed and it was worship for me in a setting that snuck up on me. And Dan was like, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh, I just feel God's presence and I just, I mean, I couldn't even articulate it. I'm like, why am I a ball baby? And that was because it was just worship and and the power of the Holy Spirit sneak up on me sometimes and I can't explain it. Yeah. I love stories like that because um, one of the things that I'm always wary of, I think it's because I'm an eight on the Enneagram. (laughs) I am always looking at, okay, how are they trying to manipulate me? Mm. What is their agenda? And like when I, not to, you know, put contemporary worship on blast, Mm -hmm. but so many times when you're walking into like these massive church environments where there's sound design and the right lighting Mm -hmm. and the rumble of the bass and the everything that's, I'm like, okay, are we really feeling the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. or is it an optical illusion to make me think I'm feeling something that I'm actually not? Because if that's the case, I've felt the Holy Spirit at a Beyonce concert, you know? Right. No, that's a good point. Maybe that's true. Maybe I did feel the Holy Spirit (laughs) at Beyonce. Maybe so. But um, I'm always weary of that. And, and so um, to hear you talk about singing a hymn in an old church and sitting in a crowd of thousands of people just listening to someone speak in languages that you mm-hmm. don't understand, <laughs> like that feels real to me. That's something that I can be like, okay, I believe you. Right. I believe that you felt that Holy Spirit, which is terrible for me to say, I don't believe other people, but there is that nugget of doubt Absolutely. in the back of my head when someone's like, oh, I went to this amazing experience and like... God was there and there was dancers and baton twirlers and then the <laughs> light started flashing and right. like someone like started speaking in tongues and I'm like are you sure they weren't having an epileptic seizure <laughs> um it just I I get pessimistic right, right away like the guy that you were like okay obviously you didn't plan for this Sunday <laughs> saying we're yeah. gonna sit in silence for 30 minutes right like, I go to that place yeah. of like just pessimism critical like and to hear those simple stories of like the Holy Spirit got through to me mm-hmm. in something that was like an everyday occurrence, no bells and whistles, no bells and whistles. Yeah. Um, that feels real. Yeah, I think that there's with contemporary worship, and I was not raised in a contemporary worship environment. The seminary I attended, it wasn't so. You know, I, I didn't even. I didn't even experience classical music till I went to college as an undergrad. I grew up on bluegrass and country music and folk music, and that's what we listened to in our home. I didn't even listen to pop, rock, any of that stuff. Then I started singing in bands, and I started singing all that kind of stuff and, and really enjoyed it and went to college and was introduced to classical music, which I'd really never been exposed to. And then uh, more after college, was I exposed and became in um, um, aware and involved in the contemporary music scene. So I like all music if it's good. I, as I said, if it's done well, I like it. Some of the thought of contemporary music is it's so repetitive. Well, you can argue it's so simplistic that you can kind of mm-hmm. divorce yourself from intellect and just totally give yourself over, kind of like Lectio Divina, where you say a passage of scripture over and over and it kind of incorporates it in your soul. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. But I hate that we have an expectation that 
we have to, you know, we've got four minutes in a song to immediately connect to God. And it's a a love song to God. And it's very uh, straight arrow. It's just up and down because, you know, worship music is up and down, but it's also out. So I forgot the question now. Oh, about manipulating. Yeah. Lights. And that's just true in our world. When we go to a romantic restaurant and there's a candle on the table and the lights are dim and some of it provides anonymity, you know, bright lights. And you feel like, oh, my gosh, I mean, there's fluorescent lighting. I can't kind of put myself in a holy place. Some of that is manipulation. Not I'm critical to... of that, too, though. If yeah. I go to a restaurant and they're trying to make it romantic, I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> You're not going to trick me into falling in love. Yeah, nice right. Try. Well, there, there's that. <laughs> yeah, I think that we're trying to create an environment where you can encounter the divine, whether that whether that's holding a candle, which we'll do the first Sunday in June, whether it is, you know, singing several songs to kind of, okay, I've come in here with the stress of my morning or the kids or my job or my marriage or, uh, you know, whatever. Okay. How can we help you disengage yeah. from your stress, from your angst, from your and just say these words, sing these words that remind us who we are and whose we are. Yeah. And so that's part of it. And so the the ambiance, I mean, let's face it, it kind of, you know, it helps. Yeah. But it's not meant to be manipulating, okay, you got four minutes to, you know, come up to the front and rededicate your life well, to Jesus. The problem is when planning worship, you never know what is going to be that thing no. that connects people Mm-mm. and where is that um, and of course we could say, you know what, every Sunday, we're just going to have someone stand up, talk for 30 minutes, get down. That's it. That's really all we need. And the Holy Spirit can do what the Holy Spirit does. Right. We could do that. Um, one of the things that we've talked about and that I like to think through when we're preparing for a worship series is how are we engaging the five senses mm-hmm. in a way, because you never know, you never know how somebody connects and how can we um, connect with people in multiple ways depending on their relationship to the Holy Spirit. And I guess it can start to feel manipulative, but that's not really the purpose behind it. It's to create opportunity for connection. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because where we do get dinged sometimes (laughs) is people that don't, we don't do it so often, but every now and then we'll have dancers. Yeah. I love that because I'm a creative. I grew up dancing. I taught dance. I love and experience God through movement. Um, I told uh, Azure Reitz is a member of our church and her daughter Sophia is a beautiful dancer. And this was a couple of years ago and I was at youth group and the kids were singing a worship song and we dimmed the lights and said, as you sing or experience this song, I've got chills already. As you sing and experience this worship song, if you want to move your bodies, go ahead. We're turning out the lights so you won't feel weird. So we turned out the lights and Sophia reads, I don't know, she might have been eighth grade, ninth grade, starts dancing. I literally found myself with tears down my face. Her whole body was expressing this praise to God. And nobody was watching, probably me. I was captivated. It was so holy watching this child dance. And I told her mom, I said, that is my closest to Christ moment for a long time because it was so beautiful. And I can close my eyes and see her body just responding. It was beautiful. I love that. Some people are like, dancers in worship, that's such a distraction. Okay, if it's a distraction for you, I'm sorry. Same thing with art, same thing with music. I mean, we have our preferences. Yeah. We've and, had painters come yes. and do expressive painting while during the message and for some people, that was really powerful to be able to focus on that artist right. interpreting the message through paint. Right. Uh, and for other people, they were like, what's this about? Sure. We have tactile learners, auditory learners, visual learners. Yeah. We respond to God in different way and the divine. And that's why I think it's important. And we don't do a good enough job. I think we need more children in worship, more youth in worship, more artistic expression uh, because we... We worship differently. We we have different gifts, and um, we can use all of those to God's glory. All right. Here's my final question <laughs> that everybody wants to know. Pastor Karen, why aren't you preaching more? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. I'll just be really honest. I'm not very good, and I don't say that like, oh, give me a compliment. I'm just telling you, I think— 
I feel like when you're good at something, we kind of know what we're good at. You know, we enjoy it more because, hey, I'm a good runner or I'm a good at basketball or I'm a good, you know, I like public speaking. I like public speaking. I like extemporaneous speaking. I like to talk. I like people. I love talking about church and faith and worship. And I, I love that when people say, hey, let's go get coffee and I want to talk about hell. Whatever. I love that. I get just nervous. I was not trained in preaching. I kind of came into this whole ordination process, the back door, and it was kind of kicking and screaming. I never envisioned myself as an ordained person. I didn't. I couldn't kind of wrap my head around that because I I never saw a woman preach growing up ever, ever, ever. It wasn't that it couldn't have happened. I just didn't see it. So when I felt like, okay, God's calling me into deeper service, I figured it was through music. I knew it was through music because that's always been my passion and drama and and, and the arts. So I was real clear on that part of my call. And then when I went to seminary, I never had a preaching class, nor did I sign up for one because I never envisioned myself. You kind of have to see yourself. So I've through the years gone, is it, you know, God equips those he calls. I've never felt called to be the senior pastor, a preaching pastor, where some ordained deacons, because I'm a deacon in full connection, do preach. They preach weekly. They feel like that's a part of their call. I never have. Honestly, it makes me nervous. So then I have to go, okay, am I not doing it because I'm just chicken? I don't know. There's just, I don't feel like it's my gift. I don't feel like it's my calling. Uh, There's a lot of pressure in that, I think. I've heard hundreds, maybe thousands of sermons. I know the difference between a good one and a bad one. (laughs) And I don't want to be somebody's stumbling block. You don't want people dissecting your sermon. <laughs> no, afterwards. and now, and now with recordings and social media, it's, it's like forever. once you say something dumb, it lives forever. And I say dumb things like all the time, oh, and I man. get tripped up, if and I talk every, myself in a corner. <laughs> imagine if every pastor worried about saying something dumb. <laughs> yeah, you're paralyzed. How much better off we would be. No, I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe maybe they should think a little bit more oh, about what they're saying. You're now, very vulnerable, and I hope yeah. that I'm vulnerable. Um, but, boy, there's just something about proclaiming week in, week out, and just intellectually. Oh, my gosh. I just think there's so much scholarship involved. And, yeah, it's very intimidating to me. I'll just be honest. Mostly we just give you a hard time <laughs> because we love to hear you preach. It well, happens maybe once every three yeah, years. Yeah, not, not very often. I don't sign up for it. I always say they're at the very bottom bottom of the, the barrel, the rung when, yeah. when everyone <laughs> I get else tapped. is on vacation. Right. And do we have any yeah. lay people who would be willing to preach? No? Okay. Um, so what it sounds like to me is that this podcast might be the perfect opportunity for you to be able to talk and express and share the things that Maybe you want to so. share without the pressure, <laughs> the pressure of preaching. Yeah, and you can delete out it. all the dumb stuff. Yeah, and I'll edit you to sound so smart. <laughs> that sounds very like, oh my gosh, people are going to think I'm stupid. Well, I am, so... <laughs> If the shoe fits, but I also love God and I love the church. So if I'm a fool for Christ, whatever. Oh my gosh. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope that we'll be able to partner on more episodes in the future and get that. You know, I want that female pastor perspective all the time. So thank you so much for joining me and uh, answering the question. Why do we worship? Yeah. Thank you so much. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org. And I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.